You're listening to a CFMS podcast. Welcome to the CFMS Connection podcast, a podcast connecting Canadian medical students to the heart of topics that matter. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the world of medicine in significant ways. And everyone in medicine from physicians to patients to medical students have had to adapt. One major change for medical students in particular is how the 2021 R1 CARMS match will be conducted. This year's R1 match, all interviews will be conducted in a virtual format for the first time ever. Also, it was recently confirmed that the R1 interviews will be virtual in 2022 as well. In addition, as a result of the pandemic, visiting electives for the remainder of this academic year are cancelled. Today, we'll speak to Dr. Victor Doe, a PGY1 resident in pediatrics at the University of Toronto. Victor is CFMS board chair through his role as past president of the CFMS last year. As part of his work as CFMS president, he has co-chaired a subcommittee on virtual interviews and program promotion for the 2021 R1 match. In this episode, Victor will tell us all about these changes to the CARMS process, what it may mean for students. He'll also discuss some tips on how to navigate this year's changes and still be successful. Victor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on the show. So why don't you tell us more about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Evelyn. I'm um, glad to be on. Uh, so I'm currently a PGY1 pediatrics resident at uh, University of Toronto. I graduated medical school in the class of 2020 from the University of Alberta. And then, as noted in the intro, uh, just finished my term as president of the Canadian Federation of Medical Students. So let's start our discussion with electives. As a result of the pandemic, the AFMC announced that there will be no visiting electives across the country for the entire academic year of 2020 to 2021. So first of all, can you describe more about what visiting electives are and why they're beneficial? Yeah, so visiting electives have been a part of um, medical training in the clinical years or the clerkship years for quite a while. Um, and they provide an opportunity for students to do a couple things. One is explore further specialty or specialties um, that they may want to pursue for the residency training is. And another being that um, not everyone does their residency training in the same place that they did medical school for many reasons, whether it's they want to go home or they want to try a different environment or there are certain centers that um, fit their needs more. And so having an opportunity to go and see what that's like before you do your applications to the R1 match um, are really helpful for learners in the past. Um, And then another aspect of this has been that uh, usually in discussions, people talk about showcasing yourself to programs uh, and the idea that if you do an elective, you may be able to get references or things from a program that may help if you decide that you'd like to do residency at the program. Um, Students also often uh, will look at ways that they can explore the city or um, other aspects of 
the training program beyond just the residency itself, because when you do a residency, whether it's for two, four, five years, um, it's obviously quite a, a long time and a, and a commitment. For sure. So can you explain why this policy to cancel all visiting electives was put in place this year? Some people might be asking, is it really necessary? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, it is really hard for you know, learners in the class of 2021 because anytime things change, um, it is you know, anxiety provoking. It's different because, uh, for example, as of 2020, it's a little hard to advise people on what things are like when you don't have visiting electives, given that I went through with visiting electives. But I think overall, having involved, been involved in discussions um, from the beginning, uh, learners and um, programs all wanted to look at ways we could offer visiting electives. But clearly, COVID-19 pandemic has unfortunately had other plans for us. Um, there are a number of reasons why we need to make the decision early. Uh, one of them being actually capacity. And so we all know that um, the 2021s were pulled from clinical duties for three plus months in many cases. Um, and so to get everyone back into training in a sense where many of the community or other sites um, are not having students. So uh, for example, in, in pediatric rotations, there are a lot of um, clinics that aren't running or not running at a capacity where we can have students. So uh, even though we've brought people back, um, the learning opportunities are a bit limited. And so uh, people just don't really have, the hospitals don't have capacity to have additional learners um, or even having trouble where the 2022s are starting and sometimes there needs to be a double cohort uh, of learners. So that also has its challenges. Um, the other things really around the logistics of COVID and, and quarantine periods. So uh, with respect to equity, we want to make sure that if there were electives that every school would be able to do them and have them. Uh, and it was clear from not only a capacity standpoint, but from regulation standpoint that that wasn't going to happen. So some schools uh, are in provinces where you need to do a two-week quarantine if you leave, regardless of anything. And so um, those learners wouldn't have been able to do electives. Um, and then uh, from a standpoint of just, as we know, like anyone with um, viral type symptoms right now, uh, are needing to get tested and needing to undergo quarantine for certain periods, depending on the provincial regulations. And with how tight clerkships have been because students were pulled for such a long period, um, it was really difficult to risk situations where learners might have to quarantine for say two weeks in a different province from where their home school is and not be able to make some of that time up. Uh, and then just the constant issues of needing to book, maybe cancel, maybe have things rescheduled. Um, I think we're just a little too much for all of us as we're just trying to get everyone back into clerkship and things as a whole. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think students may not quite realize that it stems beyond a public health risk and that it's logistically very difficult with the, with the uh, double cohorts and trying to have room to squeeze everybody in. So you did mention equity. Is there any exceptions to the policy where maybe equity would come into play? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I think for many learners, one of the things that was uh, of concern is clearly not all programs uh, are able to offer 
even home electives for students in certain entry route specialties. Um, so, uh, you know, even if the school, the medical school in the area has a certain service, say ear, nose and throat surgery and T or dermatology or whatnot, um, they may not offer an elective uh, in that specialty. And so the kind of exception to the rule has been that um, if your school isn't able to offer an elective in a certain entry route specialty, then uh, it would be considered by the undergraduate medical um, dean's committee whether there could be an exception and the learner could do an elective somewhere else so that they can at least have experience in the specialty to know whether or not um, it would be something you actually want to do. Uh, so it's not, it doesn't apply if, uh, say, your school is able to offer the elective, but just doesn't have that as a residency training program, because there are instances where uh, the universities may not offer a residency in a certain specialty, but you can still do an elective. In that case, um, you would still do the elective at your home school. Um, it's only in cases where there isn't an elective experience available. Well, that's, I mean, that's reassuring to know that the schools are still very much wanting to promote the development of students and allowing opportunities and equity in that way. So how do you feel about the decision to cancel visiting electives and how do you think it's going to impact the CARMS R1 match process? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, having been intimately involved in the discussions, I think that, like, there was this really was what we had to do the priority being to keep learners safe and to make sure that um, the 2021s can get through uh, their clinical clerkships to be able to graduate and go into the match and we made a lot of fundamental changes to the match process aside from this which i know have been kind of discussed otherwise as well um you know i think obviously uh, electives have been a really important part of the training process and I empathize with the learners who feel that you know it would be difficult to uh, make match decisions having not been to a program or not been to a city um, and so I guess my hope is that and I suspect we'll talk about this in a bit that uh, with virtual methods of program promotion uh, with other ways of engaging with programs uh, that learners can at least get some of that experience and that people don't over limit themselves from ranking certain programs um, just because they haven't seen it. Because uh, I think that even in the past, it was difficult to get electives. And there were many students who would apply to a lot of electives through the portal and not get them. Um, and with the cost of electives and things like that, uh, that had always been a challenge before. And we'd always hoped that as well, programs wouldn't emphasize electives so much um, in selection. And so this has kind of forced us to look at things a little differently. Certainly the programs have to look at us as applicants differently. Uh, and I'm hoping that um, we can work to help uh, the 2021 class feel like they can make good match decisions as well. I think one of the big advantages of visiting electives was related to students being able to connect in person with the program in the hospital. And it was kind of a way of developing a relationship with the program before the CARMS interview. So evidently you can't do that in person anymore. So how do you think this inability to form these in-person relationships will be mitigated? Yeah, so 
definitely agree that that's uh, been something in the past, both for pros and cons of seeing a program. Because sometimes you develop really good bonds, and other times you go to elective and you say, "Hey, like, I thought this would be really good, and maybe the program wasn't for you for whatever reason." Um, that was certainly a, an important part. So um, I think one of the things that programs have quickly looked at doing. Uh, are that virtual program promotion. And so we've already seen lots of events um, where people are trying to hold Q&As or other type of virtual sessions over Zoom or whatnot to engage students and try to tell them about the program. I know lots of programs are working on video tours or other things uh, that wouldn't have been done before, but programs just as much as applicants are worried because um, they also want to be able to showcase the good parts of their program and recruit students. Uh, even though as students we sometimes feel underpowered in this process, um, I, I know programs have discussed their anxiety over not being able to showcase themselves as well. So I know that we're working really hard on that um, and something that will be coming uh, shortly as of the time of this recording um, and hopefully in terms of at the time of release will be well available as a central calendar uh, for students to be able to filter and see all the virtual program promotion events that are happening nationally. Um, to help you, you know, be able to schedule in yourselves like which ones you'll be able to attend. Um, and then we're hoping for the release of a centralized platform um, that will feature all programs of all of the different entry route specialties. And you'll have an opportunity to kind of explore some of the things, uh, maybe even interact with the program and program directors, get some contacts for residents and things that are um, in the program to have further discussions because I think most. Um, people have gone through the match will say having talked to residents as well in the program is very, very helpful and useful. I think that's the development of that platform is great because it makes it very accessible to all students. And like you said earlier, I don't think that students would realize that they may not be guaranteed all those visiting electives. And so this is an opportunity for students to have equal accessibility to this online platform, uh, regardless of whether or not they were able to secure an elective um, had visiting electives been in place. So what other policies or regulations are important for everyone to know about this R1 match? Yeah, so I mean, some of the other things continue to stand. So uh, the elective diversification policy that was implemented this year um, continues to stand. And so as a reminder for people, that is about doing a maximum eight weeks of electives in any one um, PGY1 entry route discipline. Uh, and so you're able to do other electives, say in um, cardiology or respirology, like that wouldn't count as part of your eight of internal medicine as a whole, but any entry route specialty, you can only do eight in and um, that continues to, to be what's happening. And what about a policy on unsanctioned electives? So there may be a temptation for students to do unofficial observerships or unofficial electives because there are no visiting electives. So what is the policy on that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So I think this is something we really want to emphasize that is, is very important. And the faculties and programs have uh, had it as a strong area of emphasis. And so does the CFMS uh, feel the same way is that uh, from an equity standpoint, for a health risk standpoint, um, for a medical legal standpoint, it's really important that learners are not doing unofficial electives, uh, site visits, uh, anything like that. So 
there is very clear guidelines in this document called um, the Virtual Program Promotion Handbook, um, which uh, has been sent out widely and uh, is on the AFMC website. We'll have it on the CFMS website as well um, and be including it in our communique and things um, that you know, there'd be no in-person activities at uh, other sites other than your own university. So let's say you're visiting a certain city because your family lives there. Um, it's not appropriate to be setting an in-person meeting with a program director or doing something on the weekend um, or anything like that. Uh, you also cannot undertake new research electives with faculty that are outside of your university. So. If you've already been doing something, say you're a student at the U of S and you've been doing something with someone at University of Manitoba, we're not gonna tell you that you can't continue, but if you haven't had that before, um, we can start new projects. Um, and really just emphasize the importance of uh, that, you know, this is really here from an equity standpoint to make sure that uh, say in certain provinces where there are multiple medical schools and it's a little bit easier, say, to go to one place than another, um, that you know, other people in other provinces wouldn't be able to do that. Um, unnecessary travel is something we really want to limit this year. And then certainly um, the idea of training or undertaking things where you don't have coverage from uh, any type of medical legal standpoint has always been risky. And we know that you know, maybe these things have been happening in the past, um, but all of us are really aligned, uh, student affairs, undergraduate deans, postgraduate deans, um, learner organizations that this not happen um, for this year and, and really should be something um, that is uh, consideration moving forward as well. Does that research policy apply to virtual research projects as well? Yeah, so it's a bit interesting that you bring up the idea of the kind of virtual electives. So again, th there really isn't a program or things happening right now with um, ongoing virtual elective experiences. We talked about the program promotion events, which are very different. They're kind of one-time um, things that are happening uh, that you find out about a program, but they're not an elective experience where you do clinical work or teaching or things like that. So that would also um, not be uh, allowed under um, the current policy. And in terms of research, um, that would also uh, be something that isn't supported. So uh, the reason being that in this case, it's not about whether it's in-person or not, uh, it's about learners undertaking things with other programs um, that right now in terms of equity of access, there's just not that ability for students to be able to do that. Um, so anything that you've been doing before, uh, again, that will stand, but you can't undertake new like chart reviews or other things that you, you know, may argue you could do um, virtually um, with faculty outside of your university. Right. So if I'm sitting here in Ottawa, I can't do telemedicine to patients in Alberta, for example, kind of like a virtual elective like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what about the timeline for interviews for the 2020-2021 cycle? Maybe let's start with a brief description of what the time like was like in the past, and then we'll talk about what it'll be like this year. Yeah, so things are quite different. Uh, you know, applications for the R1 match used to be due in um, November, kind of end of November, and interviews would happen over a crazy winter period of kind of end of January to early February. Um, 
and we all know some of the issues with snow and, and Canadian winters with that. But match day would usually be like right at the beginning of March or at the end of February with that. Um, and so that has been the customary timeline for quite a bit of, of time. This year, because learners were pulled um, from clinical duties for so long, the timelines have been pushed back. And so um, your application due dates for the 2021s are actually going to be February 8th. Um, there will be a virtual interview period um, between March 8th and March 28th. And then the match day for the first iteration will be April 20th. Uh, and second iteration match day is May 20th. So those dates are all set um, as of now, given everything that we know. So you mentioned the shift to the virtual format. So for listeners, the AFMC announced that all CARMS interviews for the 2020 and 2021 cycle will be in a virtual format. So conducted over a platform like Zoom, for example. So can you talk about these changes? Yeah. So. Um, with the virtual interview period, one thing that um, you know should be highlighted is that we've been having some discussions over many years about whether we should do interviews virtually for a number of reasons, which I think we may talk about in a little bit. Um, but this year, again, just the same as with the electives period, we had to make a decision early so that programs could prepare because going from in-person to virtual is quite a, a feat and endeavor. Um, and then you know, from a logistical standpoint, as we're seeing, uh, the pandemic is not going away anytime soon. Um, and the idea of traveling to some, you know, 15 different interviews, say over a three week period, uh, is not logistically possible um, in this period right now. What exactly interviews will look like, uh, we still don't know. There's a lot of work being done. I um, co-chair a, a subcommittee um, nationally that has worked on program promotion and is working on virtual interviews and seeing how that will all work. Um, but we've seen a lot of a shift to that. I mean, medical schools uh, shifted very quickly their um, medical school interviews to, to virtual, a few of them did. I know some of you will have participated in virtual OSCEs. Certainly things are different. We're all working through and wanna create the smoothest, best possible process. We wanna, in some ways, replicate some of the things that were done before, but also know that a virtual format is different than an in-person format, and we have to make adjustments based on that as well. So how do you think it's going to impact the CARMS interview experience? Yeah, it, it will definitely be different. I mean, uh, having gone through the in-person period, as I noted, I mean, I personally did um, 10 interviews over the three-week period. Um, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. And uh, I visited, including Edmonton, nine different cities um, wow. to do that. Uh, so, you know, just from that travel standpoint, the um, different type of fatigue you feel when you're going to a different city um, and getting to know things and, and that uh, is different. I think some people will say that, you know, um, because of this, you obviously can't go to the different cities. Um, and again, different people's experience is very different. So my experience will be different than others. But I would say in general, I mean, as you can imagine, if you're traveling to this many places in, in three weeks, um, you don't get a lot of time at each place as well. You're often quite tired and um, you didn't necessarily always get to do much more than your interview and the things that happen on interview day. Um, so certainly, I mean, sometimes you can get a feel of a city in a short period, but I don't know if that is necessarily a huge difference in terms of um, 
actually experiencing the city, although that combined with um, the visiting electives certainly is, is something that's different. Um, and so I think I would just encourage everyone to you know, attend these virtual events to get some sense of the cities, talk to residents, do what you can and be open um, to new experiences. Um, but the interview period will be different. Uh, and we've talked about things like Zoom fatigue and um, the online issues. And so uh, that's certainly something we need to work through. And, and we don't have full details yet about what this will all be, but certainly be reassured that we're going to have policies and procedures to deal with, say, your internet dropping or other types of reasons for disconnections um, and, and try to work through that because, you know, the virtual environment is very different. We've all seen the issues where, you you know, a child runs into the room or something happens um, and we just need to be able to figure that out and ensure that, you know, students are able to showcase their best selves and that programs are able to get a good assessment of you as well. Yeah, that kind of makes me think on the flip side, there were also issues with the in-person interviews, especially given that they were previously kind of held in the middle of the winter and people's flights would be canceled and everything. So I think it's kind of important to look at the flip side and that there were issues from both sides of things. What are some of the other differences of doing the R1 match in a virtual format? Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, you know, whether one is better than the other or not, I, I think, you know, at this point, this is what we're going to do this year, and we'll have to see and assess. But certainly, from an R1 match standpoint, um, you know, there's a versus the travel and the virtual format. Uh, the the money saved uh, is one big thing. So um, every year, if you look at uh, statistics on the the CARMS website, you'll see that on average, people would do eight interviews uh, for the match. Um, but the range is very wide. So there are people who do 15 plus as well. The average amount um, spent on um, the tour itself would be was self-reported as close to $3,000, although again, um, ranged very widely depending on whether you are doing mostly regional interviews or if you flew across the, city, uh, the, across the country and went you know, from east to west or whatnot. Um, yeah, every year there were... Yeah, it is. And, and every year there was issues um, self-reported where, you know, say close to one fifth of applicants actually declined interviews um, because of cost. And they declined on average those who reported declining interviews because of cost, two or more um, interviews. So we're hoping that from that equity standpoint, um, this really helps people um, because, you know, from a cost standpoint, this should be less problematic. Um, often people would have to rearrange schedules a lot or do things because of flights or other things, as you mentioned, Evelyn, and um, we're hoping that we can schedule things that uh, result in less conflicts and some more flexibility of when to do interviews, um, although we'll still have to see how that all goes. Um, and then certainly there's been lots of spotlight this past year in the interviews, especially on the environmental footprint. and. Um, what it means for, you know, 2,000 plus students to be flying across Canada for three uh, weeks straight um, with multiple flights. And so um, certainly there are advantages there uh, as well. It's, it's interesting. We've kind of heard a common theme throughout this interview that this shift to virtual um, elect or virtual interviews and kind of virtual overall has really increase the accessibility, which I think is a, a positive thing. And because it shouldn't be about 
you know, who can travel where or how much money you can spend to go to all the interviews across the country. I think it's a really positive thing to have accessibility across the board in terms of the electives that you're able to do and the interviews that you're able to have. So I think it's a positive shift for education overall. Do you know of any resources, maybe some websites, or I've even heard of people following Twitter accounts of residency programs or residents, sort of any sort of resources that applicants can refer to to help them navigate all these new changes? Yeah, so um, in terms of the changes, the best thing to do is uh, look at the AFMC website and specifically right now in terms of at our time of recording the virtual program promotion handbook um, and the section called learner news um, that has a lot of updates the CFMS also um, has been sending memos and things and we'll be continuing to do that as well to keep you up to date on the changes themselves again specific logistics on virtual interviews we don't have yet but Will hopefully be coming in the next bit and I, I mentioned a few times this um, centralized calendar and a central site that will include information about the program so uh, those should be coming available soon as well uh, the CARMS website which will tell you all the things that you need to have ready for your applications uh, will be live sometime in early November with um, kind of program descriptions of uh, programs will write kind of often some information about what their training program is like, uh, everything you need to know about, again, what you need to upload um, for, you know, what type of CV you need to do, anything like that for your application will be there. So that's gonna be a very important place to look. And then, yeah, I encourage people that residency programs are being more creative than ever. I know um, my residency program um, has started using social media, many others as well. So if that's something that you do and you're interested in, um, certainly it's something to, to engage on as, as you wish. Um, I think uh, my, you know, a word of caution always is that, especially with all the changes, there are a lot of people who aren't sure about things that are happening. Um, and so really check your sources of, of where you're hearing things from. Um, your undergraduate deans really are aware of everything that's happening. So are the student affairs deans and kind of information that comes from them will be very strong and reliable. But sometimes something you might hear from a community physician or someone who may not be as aware of our changes, it's not that they're trying to mislead or anything at all, but there's just been so much change that even myself, uh, it's only because I've been involved in all the discussions that I know all these things. Otherwise, it's hard to keep track of them. So if you hear something that's funny or that makes you uncomfortable or that you're unsure about, um, just maybe check uh, with someone to see if um, there was a misunderstanding or anything like that. Certainly. So what would... Be the best resource to refer to if you're unsure in terms of like the AFMC, the CARMS website? Yeah, both. AFMC and CARMS website things will be the best. Again, the CARMS website um, updates won't be available till um, November and that's like a normal timeline for them. But you know, your student affairs offices, student affairs deans um, will certainly um, be uh, uh, willing and open to answer question. I know lots of programs are having town halls and things like that. Um, and CFMS checks our communications and stuff by these organizations as well before we send them. So uh, we try to make sure that uh, those are as up to date as possible. Do you have any final words or advice before we wrap up the interview? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I just encourage students to be really open. I know, again, this is challenging logistically. 
um, and just so different. Uh, and you feel that a lot of things have changed um, and that the match itself is always a stressful process regardless. And now we have COVID, we have your medical education being changed. We have the match being changed and there's a lot of things going on. Um, so reach out to people for help and support. Uh, even though, you know, people in the 2020 class like myself may not be able to know at all what you're going through. We've gone through the match. And so um, we can help you from that standpoint as well. Um, and as hard as this is, I'd say to embrace this year. I mean, this is what it is. We're not changing to an in-person format. We're not changing to have visit, like in-person visiting electives. Um, and so uh, we all have to make the best of the situation. So engage with the programs. Um, use all the different methods of virtual program promotion there are. Uh, prep for your interviews in a virtual manner and, and you know, be, be flexible in terms of how that looks because that will create the best process for you. Um, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, when we really reflect back, there will be some bumps in the road for sure um, because we're so new to doing all these things. At the same time, though, I think that um, there'll be a lot of positive things, including equity and other things that we've talked about that will come from this period as well. Victor, thank you so much for your time today. It was great speaking with you. Thanks, everyone. For the most up-to-date information, please visit the AFMC and CARMS websites. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This has been Evelyn Gay for the CFMS Connection Podcast. Thanks for listening.